Welcome, good morning. Let's stand and worship together. No fear can hit it out. 
This is the air I breathe This is the air I breathe Your whole presence Living in me This is my daily bread This is my daily bread Your very word Spoken to me This is the air I breathe This is the air I breathe Your whole presence Living in me This is my day this is my daily bread. Your very word spoken to me, and I. Thank you this morning. We come to worship a little bit unnerved by the events of this week, the institutions and people that we've trusted failed us. Father, help us. Help us to learn to trust you and you alone. Earthly institutions fail. They're filled with people who fail. Help us, Father. Give us encouragement this week. 
we worship you with a renewed sense of faith. We trust you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. We're glad to see you here today. Why don't you turn around and greet your neighbor? Let him know you're glad to see him in worship. Well, good morning from Kid Street as well. Um, you know I'm a teacher, right? And uh, most of my kids are grown up, but they used to be on the steps with you guys a little while ago. And, um, you know, sometimes they would do something at home or at school that might get them in trouble. That ever happened to you? You don't have to raise your hand and admit it or anything. Not in front of your parents, your grandparents. But sometimes something happens, right? We do something we're not supposed to do or we say something we're not supposed to say. And I had a little rule with my kids and I have a rule with my students. I say, hey, if you just tell me the truth, I can help you. We can fix it. Do your parents kind of have a rule like that? They say, you know, what's worse? Doing something you're not supposed to do or lying about it? Trying to cover it up. Hoping nobody ever finds out. Right? What's worse? Well, as a parent... As a teacher, we just rather, you know, our students tell us and so that we can help them, right? Kind of the same thing that Pastor Kevin's going to talk about today in Revelations chapter 2. Um, it's, a, it's a letter that was written to a church, and they were saying bad things were happening and that they needed to keep the faith. They needed to stay faithful and believe. In fact, as an older guy here, I've gone through some things, and I look back and I think, I don't know how I got through that without my faith, without believing, without help from my Father in heaven. So when things happen, when we're sad, uh, when we're upset, when uh, something doesn't go our way, we actually sometimes lean more on our faith than we do when things are going great. We don't get down on our knees when we're happy and say, oh God, please help me with all this happiness. Right? It's usually when things are going wrong. And so Pastor Kevin's going to talk about that. Uh, just listen for it in the sermon that bad things might happen. Things might not go our way. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. That doesn't mean that he's not going to help us. That doesn't mean that we're not his children. In fact, you know, it's way after Christmas. We still have baby Jesus up here on the rostrum, don't we? That's to remind us that Jesus is with us. We take him wherever we go, even in the bad times. Okay? So we'll pray, and uh, when you go back to your seats, you can grab a bookmark there. Maybe you can take it to church or put it in your Bible to remind us to walk in faith. Okay? Why don't you bow with me? Dear Lord, we, we thank you for your presence, uh, for never leaving us, for, for, for your forgiveness, for your help in times of trouble. Help us to stay faithful even when things are hard when things don't go our way, that we talk to you, we pray, we look to your word for comfort 
and guidance. Help us to share our faith with those around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Satisfies and every need 
Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for the many blessings we have in our life. Let us take the message we are about to receive and put it to work in our daily lives. Look upon those who are not here with us today. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Nate and Brian. I always made fun of my dad when he got older because he tripped on his feet a lot. And I am starting to do that thing that my dad did. So I guess that's payback, and he's probably in heaven saying, ha ha, bud. That was my dad. Open your Bibles with me if you would this morning. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 11, continuing in our series the letters of the seven churches today will be talking about the letter to the church at Smyrna. And the risk is what happens when your faith is sincere and life-changing. When you practice your faith, there is risk involved. We're going to talk about that today. As always, we pray. We always live in a world where things are at risk. And we know that, but... For a lot of reasons, we've been sort of insulated from those things. We read about things in the news all over the world, living with this idea that nothing like that could ever happen to us, and yet here we are in somewhat of a national crisis. I'm not convinced that it's a threat to the democracy, but it's obviously a big deal, isn't it? You know, we don't really know how to respond. So I think 
what I will do, and you can do as you choose, what I will do is just trust that God is in control because I can't really fix anybody. Have you ever noticed that? You can't fix Washington. You can vote, you can pray, you can protest and write letters, and that's all good stuff, and you can do it too, I encourage you. But ultimately, you can't fix it. What I am personally responsible for is my behavior and my responses and how I choose the future. So I choose to follow biblical teaching. Some of you saw my Facebook post, some of you didn't. But I, I didn't know what else to do. I thought about giving my two bits because everybody's opinion is important, right? And we want to believe that. But when your opinion has already been said 40 million times, do you really need to say it again? And it doesn't matter what side you're on, it's already been said. And because I couldn't add any kind of crucial political analysis, all I did was write what I thought that Christians could do following biblical teaching. So if you didn't see it, go to Facebook if you would and check those comments out. The preacher was right in college when he said the only thing you will encounter that never changes is God and His Word. Everything else struggles and will be tainted by sin. So the only thing we can do as Christians is trust that God is at work. So we do that today. We pray for our nation, for peace, of course, for a willingness to restrain our emotions and our tongues. We pray for our new leaders. They're going to be there, like it or not. Pray that they can do a good job that's fair and just. Pray for those that have been injured and hurt. Pray for their healing, for the comfort of their families. Pray for mercy and justice too. I'll give you a few moments of prayer. I'll close and we'll look at this passage together. Would you join with me please? Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence today. This day, it is particularly appropriate to thank you for this nation in which we live. Even in hard times, we are free and safe. Some of our people have gone too far. Some have lost their lives. For those who have been injured and lost lives, give them comfort. We pray for truth of the situation. We pray for justice for those lawbreakers. We pray for the families of those that have died. Lord, help us to recover from this. You've shown us over the centuries that our system is good and solid, and yet it is vulnerable to the evil that is within us all. Help us, Father, to follow your spirit and your guidance Help us to live as only we can as Christians with the leadership of your spirit following the teachings of your word. We pray, Father, you would help us to stand together. We have many problems in our culture. Help us to face them honestly. Help us to make changes as they need to be made. Help us to resist that stubborn self-righteousness that says that if you disagree with me, you're just wrong and you need to get out. That is an evil position, Father. Forgive us. 
Help us to honor you. Lord, we give this prayer in the context of daily life. We struggle against this pandemic and the crises that are every day this year. Help us again. If this year has proven us anything, it is we need your help every day. We, in our wisdom and wealth and powers, are unable to overcome everything. We need you, Father. We pray for our leaders. Give them wisdom. We pray for our health care workers, our soldiers, first responders. Protect them and use them to bring peace and justice and health. We pray, Father, that in the midst of our own crises, that we would not forget those around the world who need our help too. And Father, in the church, both this church and in Christians, the church around the world, help us to realize that all the evils that we see are a function of the sin that is within us. Cleanse us. Help us to stand strong against the sinful tendencies that come to us. Help us to speak words of truth with grace and compassion. As always, cleanse us of all our sin. And again, Father, just help us. We thank you for this life. We thank you for this faith and for blessing us as you have. Give us hope, Father. Help us to live reflecting that hope to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christians have always lived with the belief that if they're good Christians and they go to church and give offerings, that God will protect them from all evil. You've heard great and rousing sermons, and so have I about how good God is and how He protects us and gets us through difficult situations and so on and so forth. And to a point, those are all true. Sometimes God protects us from evil. Sometimes God heals. Sometimes it is almost as if we are invincible in the faith. But it's just sometimes, isn't it? Christians are not impervious to the evils of this world. We live in a world, and unfortunately... We're just like everybody else. We succumb to this world's ways. I had a conversation with one of my friends. We were talking about this very thing, and we were talking about a, a, a news story we'd heard where a guy who was a Christian was shot in a drive-by and those kinds of things. And, and you know, we talked about this idea because my friend said, wow, that shouldn't happen. If he's a Christian, isn't God supposed to protect him? That's what I've always believed. And we had a kind of a difficult conversation because... A lot of people don't want to hear the idea that if you're a Christian, you can still be hurt and you can still suffer. To be honest, sometimes those sermons sound pretty good. I've heard preachers talk about how you can always be saved and you can always be safe and God will protect you from all those things. And, and there are a couple of Old Testament passages, by the way, where the phrase, God will put a hedge around you, are there. Typically, those passages were referring to a particular person in a particular instance. At the same time, there are some other passages that, if taken by themselves, could mislead you. So we're going to talk about that whole idea today, about how we as Christians, living in this sin-tainted world, are not impervious to evil. Even with the power of God, we are subject to life on this earth. One of the great misunderstandings in the church, I think, 
is that God will always protect you, always keep you safe, and always be with yours to give them a long, healthy life. And it's a myth, isn't it? Because we know better. Interestingly, when Jesus spoke to the, seven, to the second church in Smyrna, he dealt with this very issue. Look along with me if you would. I'll read Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So Jesus talking to churches, talking about real churches, real situations. So when John recorded this revelation, he was saying, I saw Jesus say this. Now, he doesn't describe the form of the vision very well, so we're just going to accept that the idea here is that Jesus wrote letters to seven churches. They were churches that were specific congregations, sometimes multiple congregations in a particular area, but they were going through real-life situations. They were real people, in other words. And sometimes these Christians were doing really well, sometimes not. Sometimes they were doing well on the planet, but not so much spiritually. At other times, they were doing well spiritually, but not so well on the earth. And so Jesus addressed those things, their strengths and weaknesses, and this passage in this letter to the second church brings up some truths that no one wants to hear. And on screen is the first one. Following Jesus isn't always easy. Tammy and I don't watch church preachers very much for obvious reasons I'm here. But she's at home on Sundays because of the pandemic and all those things. And so she tells me who she watches. And, and once in a while... When there's just nothing else on TV late night, I'll watch a TV preacher because I generally don't like to watch TV preachers for all sorts of reasons. And I tend to like the same preachers that she likes, not because they're particularly good, but because they are positive and uplifting. I want to hear that God can bless you. I want to hear that God works in life and helps me and protects me and those kinds of things. I'm just like everybody else, strangely enough. And, you know, some people think preachers are odd ducks. But we're really not. We're just like you, so maybe we're all odd ducks. Maybe so. But I want to hear positive messages. I like to be around positive people. I like people to look for the best in life. And I tend to be an optimist myself and things like that. And yet I have to acknowledge that sometimes those positive messages ring hollow because of the situation. In the passage we read... Jesus was talking to a church in Smyrna. A little bit of history, a little bit. Smyrna was a big town, about 100,000. 100,000, about the size of Independence, actually. So imagine, go back 2,000 years, on the coast of the Mediterranean, about 40 miles north of Ephesus, there was this city, Smyrna. It was a great trade city. So there was a lot of money, a lot of wealthy people. It was a beautiful city. You can go back and look at the pictures. Even now, it's a beautiful city. 
with their old houses, and you've seen those Mediterranean villages and things like that. And it was an absolute wonderful place to live. A lot of commerce, strong government presence there. It was a very peaceful nation, and people had really good lives. And by the way, they were really good people. In that city, there was a great worship center to the emperor Tiberius. Now, you may not remember this, but in Rome... Typically, the emperors were worshipped as a deity. Tiberius was the second one. He was very successful, very well-loved at first, and he kind of fizzled out in years to come. He was kind of a recluse, kind of a downer person, kind of a lot of depression, we think. But still, he was wildly popular. And so they began to worship him, as they did all emperors, by the way. And the worship center of Tiberius in Smyrna was big and bold and beautiful and ornate, and it was a, a thriving cult. And by that, it was just had particular beliefs and situations. And so a lot of people in this city of 100,000 were followers of the emperor Tiberius. And other faiths were tolerated only. And then there was Christianity. At first, because Christianity started as a small group and they weren't very influential, no one cared. But over the decades, what happened was the church literally exploded like it did in so many areas and people began to share their faith with others and people were getting saved. And what was happening in this city that was really essentially focused on Tiberias, this city began to feel a strong Christian presence. And there was a lot of resistance to that because who were these people, this pathetic Jewish cult that believed in a dead man? Who in the world do they think they are So there began to be a a system of persecution. And on screen, you can see some ways that the persecution was. And you can see this in the passage you read. If you would, look at those passages again. In verse 9, there was the idea of tribulation and poverty. And then blasphemy towards a group of people of Jewish descent that were of the synagogue of Satan. And then he talked about in verse 10, prison. So we can see from this passage that he's talking about three kinds of persecution. First was just a general physical persecution. So these people were struggling. These Christians were struggling in Smyrna simply because they were Christians. Because everybody, or so it seemed, everybody was wrapped up in the Tiberius cult. Christians were a threat. So even though it was legal to be Christians, it was also legal to persecute Christians. And so people took part in that. And there was routine, systemic persecution. At first, they were hated. Stones were thrown and things like that. Sometimes, they would ransack their houses and steal their money and leave them destitute. At other times, depending upon the crowd and the mood, they would simply boycott their businesses, and Christians lost everything simply because they were Christians. They did nothing illegal. It wasn't illegal to follow Jesus, but it wasn't popular. So what happened was it was becoming very difficult to be Christian. Persecution by faith, which is meaning the idea that there was religious opposition to the Christian teachings. There were the Jews that weren't Jews at all, which meant that they had Jewish heritage. But he said that they were the synagogue of Satan, which meant they had probably taken up pagan rituals in the Jewish synagogue. And they're Jewish people who should have known better, but were fighting against Christianity. And they were evil people. And they were attacking Christians. And there was also the Tiberian emperor worship thing that was against Christianity. And finally, the last one, political persecution. This is what he was talking about when he said they were being imprisoned. 
To be put in prison means there's political action. You know, a ragtag group of people or just the pop general populace can't generally throw people into prison. That takes a government edict, doesn't it? And so what we see here is, even though it was essentially legal to be Christians, the government in Smyrna was beginning to turn against Christians. So on all fronts, Christians were beginning to suffer. And when I say suffer, they were suffering. And there were people dying. And you can see when he says here in verse 10, you, you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death. Jesus was saying, listen, it may come to that. So here we have Jesus talking to Christians, hoping to live the positive life of faith, hoping that God would bless them, wanting to do the same thing that you and I do. They just wanted to live their life. They just wanted to go to church unhindered. They just wanted to raise their kids and grandkids and be happy and live and retire. You know, they were just like us in every way. And they were not allowed to do that. And Jesus, instead of giving them false words of comfort, saying, there, there, it's going to be all right, was saying, it's not going to be all right. Some of you will suffer unto death. And that's a hard message to hear, isn't it? Because we want to hear that it's going to be different. There's a passage in Matthew 10 where Jesus said this earlier. Read this with me. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you shall even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So Jesus said before this, years before, that it was not going to be always easy to follow him. He never said, follow me and everything will be wonderful. He said, just follow me and God will be with you. And that's the promise, that God will be with you no matter what, that God will give you encouragement and hope, that God will give you strength, that God will give you comfort. He does not promise a life of ease and protection. Sometimes you can pray for those things, and it's all right to ask. Sometimes God will give you that protection. Sometimes he will save the one for whom you are praying. Sometimes he will spare you and your family of death. But that isn't the normal pattern forever in every situation. Sometimes evil will come. So a couple of things here. Suffering for the Christian is a distinct reality. So get past the idea that if you're Christian, everything's going to be easy. That's just not true. fact is, that is a lie from hell. Because if the evil one can get you to believe that, then when life breaks in, your faith is destroyed. And I've known people like that in my own life. They had this deep and abiding conviction. And they were blessed with good genetics. And they lived long and healthy lives. But into their 60s and 70s, what happened was, well, you know what happened. They got old. Their bodies began to give up. And because... From their perspective, God didn't protect them. He failed them, and their faith was destroyed. I've known ministers get out of ministry because of things like this. The reality is Christians will suffer. The other reality is su suffering because of our faith is a possibility. You and I are privileged. You may not know this, but you are privileged because when you came to church today, there wasn't any danger. We are privileged in this culture, and we've been privileged for about the last hundred years or so, even longer a little bit maybe, that we could practice our faith, go to church, speak out with no repercussions. It will probably not always be that way. Most nations have some restrictions, and that's historical, 
And I suspect this one will go that way too. I don't have any predictions. I'm not worried about Joe Biden or anything like that. But we have to understand that we live in a sin-tainted world. And somewhere along the way, Christians may be called in this culture to suffer. Amazingly enough, God can work in those times. We want to see God work our way. But God may work in other ways. Look in verse 9 again, if you would. I know your tribulation and your poverty. You are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Be fa- in verse 10, the last phrase, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Suffering will come, but you are rich. Sometimes rich is our possessions and our family and our experiences. Sometimes we are rich because we can look to a life of blessing. Sometimes rich is because we have hope for the future. In fact, is one of the things that he says here is that in verse 10, I will give you the crown of life. You are wealthy, not just because of the blessings right now, but of the spiritual blessings that cannot be taken away, by the way, and the idea that when you die, no matter how you die, God will be with you and will take you on into eternity. For people who have already lost everything, I mean, they had nothing more to lose, the idea that God is with you brings great hope. And the idea for those that were in prison facing death, and they knew they would die, by the way, the idea that God would take care of them even into death was a great blessing. You've read the stories of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, minister, died in a Nazi concentration camp. He said they could not beat the hope out of he and the other Christians. He said even when they faced death, they knew God would be with them. Nothing, no one could take that away. So we are wealthy. On screen is this idea. God can bless us in our suffering He can use us in our suffering, and He can help us and give us hope in our suffering. Regardless of the circumstances, God can work. One of the things we always have to remember, like it or not, as follower of Jesus, you are responsible for the way the gospel is perceived by others. So when you are struggling and life is dumped on you and you are suffering, You can rail at it, God. That's okay. But it's not really a very good witness. Instead, go to God in prayer and say whatever you want. He can handle it. But when you are around others, let them know that the God who has been with you is still with you. It's okay for them to see you suffer and to know that your sufferings are real. But always remember, when people who love you see you suffer, they suffer too. And they need to see you as Christian with something more. Not this fake, paste a smile on your face thing, but the idea that this isn't all there is. We live in a world full of people who, who know nothing about Christianity. The fact that people celebrate Christmas and buy Easter eggs for their children doesn't mean anything, folks. I am amazed that people who have grown up in this culture have never heard the gospel. They do not understand. But when they see Christians in hard times, 
living with hope. They understand that. God can use you as a witness for others. As Christians endure the sufferings of this life with faith, God works and is glorified. And people can see a faith that makes a difference. They're not going to be converted by your wisdom. But they will be converted by the way God works in you. And they can see that. Jesus called us to a faith that is based not on practical logic or anything else. But it's a faith based on Him. Crucified and resurrected. He said, when you get together in the future, have this meal. And when you do that... Talk about me. Remind yourselves and others that you're here because I died for you. The, blood, the bread symbolizes his flesh. The blood is symbolized by, his, by the wine. He said, do this and so other people can see you stand together. And when you do this, you proclaim the gospel. Let me ask the deacons to come forward. We're going to share this meal of communion, doing things that Jesus wanted us to do. As you know, we do this a little differently now. In just a moment, I'll pray and I'll have you stand with me. And when you come forward, you'll come up to the deacon and they will hold the tray and you will gain a cup and go back to your seat. And as soon as you sit down, I would recommend you start fiddling with the cups. I know they're kind of fussy. I've heard your complaints. I can't fix it. Sorry. But this is how we do it right now. All right. Why don't you stand with me? We invite you as follower of Jesus to join us. It is proclamation of the gospel. It is celebration of faith. It is invitation for those who don't follow Jesus to follow him. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you for your presence and for this life we live. Thank you for faith that endures. Give us hope, Father. Be with us now. Use this meal to strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come join me in the meal, please. To celebrate him as they ate a meal. Not just to celebrate the fact that they are saved in Christ, but that this meal represents that we are different. We're not smarter or prettier or anything. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. So Jesus said this. When he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The disciples didn't necessarily know what was going to happen. They knew it was going to be bad. They could read the writings on the wall. So when they took this, and Jesus said, this symbolizes my blood, they were probably wondering. Our perspective tells us what happened. Jesus died on the cross just for us. And that's why we're here. So he said this, and in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The invitation is always here. Sometimes I make the assumption that everybody here is Christian. You may not be. Maybe you've never made that decision to follow Jesus as Savior. He is the only thing that never changes. He is the only one that you can always trust and depend upon. He will cleanse you and save you, help you in this life, and care for you in the life that is to come.
I mean, encourage you to make that decision to follow Jesus. If you'd like, you can come forward as Nate leads us in this last invitation hymn. If you'd like, you could just catch me out in the foyer later. We'll talk about it. Would you stand with me as Nate leads us?